Hello and welcome to the first ever bonus episode of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in modern. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the Manic Scribe, Shane Beeps. This is like a bonus episode. I can do literally whatever I want, right? Like... No one can take this away from me. It's like international waters to a degree. Like U.S. laws can't touch us here. So I'm in like Dave's yacht's hot tub, like usual. Dave's super yacht, yeah, the Big Daddy Five. On bonus episodes, you're allowed to wear white after Labor Day. Man, I don't even know there's a rule. Also with us, it's the profane memento, Zach Culhan. Forbidden, entrancing, delightful. It's a campaign I'm working on for my new cologne. (laughs) The godfather, Dave Harberger, had his library reduced to zero cards and will not be joining us in this episode. But we are so excited to bring this to our friends, fans, and listeners. In recognition of our stretch goal, this is our first bonus episode ever. We plan to do these once a month, and they will likely feature topics that are more fringe or more casual. Yeah, I'm super happy to take off our casual spike masks and put on the party hats of Fringe. That was a good Texas speech bot that sounded like Shane over there. (laughs) Speaking of Fringe, today's episode is a dive into Blue Black Mill. Someone's calling in? What is... I'm, I'm getting reports of someone trying to hack into our stream. I think you should answer it. All right. uh, Yahoy ahoy! Hey, is that is that who I think it is? This can't be right. I thought you were dead. Uh, I I managed <laughs> to unplug from the matrix and uh, get my kids to bed. And I got a, and I just finished a league. Um, it was pretty sweet. I killed somebody on turn three with three monastery swift spears and a oh, bunch of lava darts. Dave. And no, 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 no. That's that's next week. That's next week. Hold on, hold on, Dave. Have you been lava sending darts? our memos to spam? I I've been playing this bad mono red prowess deck because i thought we were trying to show that it was still oh no there's no saving oh, that deck, oh. dave we're on the mill train now yeah dave we're we're all mill players and yeah it got bumped up a couple of weeks due to the hogak banning I... I went away for one weekend and i came back and everybody's a mill player now it's legit what happened yeah. pitch a tent over on the dark slick shores baby I'm also a juggalo now, but we can talk about oh, that later. Wow. Okay. I was going to ask about the clown makeup. Jinkos are back, by the way. I, I know. I'm wearing them. So what are we talking about t- today? We're talking about Mill? Are you guys kidding, or are you serious? <laughs> I didn't play these two leagues as a prank, Dave, okay? Dave, Ooh. I think the reason you may have been confused is because Mill is a library burn deck rather than life total burn. Oh. oh. Okay. Ah. Well... I'm here. Okay. Sorry I couldn't join until last minute. I did not get a chance to play the deck before we recording, but I wanted to kind of be here, maybe ask some questions, listen into what the guys had to say about everybody's favorite fringe archetype, Blue Black Mill. Yeah, I can't wait for the occasional Dave comment about <laughs> what does that card do? Now what is now what does that say? Three abilities? Oh uh, man, I have lost to this deck a bunch of times, so I'm I am ready to to hear what you think about it. So because this is a bonus episode coming out between regular scheduled episodes, we're skipping our breakdown. 
We're even going to skip the wind down. We're just going straight into a mill dive. The episode's going to be a little bit shorter, a little sweeter, but way more casual and fun. I'm wearing a t-shirt this time. Hold on, we're not going to spend like 45 minutes talking about literally every 5-0 deck in the modern <laughs> dump for the breakdown? No. I, I prepped all these notes. Are, it was like 17 single space pages. Are Zach and I the only people who knew what was on the schedule for this recording? It's absolutely wild that we, for once I am the one in control. All right, let's do it. Let's go to the dive down. I'm in the driver's seat. No Dave, no hands up. Beep, beep, get in the car. Well, I do have a question because the notes, the notes have us going directly into let's talk about the cards. Can I, can I ask a question? What is Mill and why would somebody want to get into it? Yes. Zach? What is Mill is a great question. Um, Mill is a kitchen table favorite. It is a really interesting strategy where you're using blue and black cards to put cards from a player's library into their graveyard in hopes of activating a rule, or not activating, but having this rule come into play, and that's rule 120.4 which is a player who attempts to draw a card from a library with no cards in it, loses the game. The next time a player would receive priority. So no cards in the library, can't draw one, you lose. So it's essentially a blue-black deck that is looking to put all players' cards from their library into their graveyard. What makes you say it's a kitchen table deck, Zach? I don't mean in terms of power level. I mean in terms of where it's most popular, I think. And I feel like a lot of people, especially when they get into modern, have fond memories of this deck and think about it as something that's like, oh, well... My friend had, you know, a really cool kick-ass blue-black mill deck, and it was really fun to play with, or I liked the strategy. But up until, I think, really recently, it didn't have the tools to hang out in modern at a really competitive level. So it was like, oh, that's the deck that people like when they first get into modern from kitchen table, or when they first go from, like, casual to serious player. But it's more of a casual deck. But I feel like it's not that way anymore, but it sort of has that legacy to it. I, I will say, I mean, this is the only is this the only alternate win con in the comprehensive rules. Running out of cards in your library is the only way that you can lose a game other than going from twenty to zero life. Is that right? You mean besides like cards that say you win the game? Yeah, if... yeah, yeah, correct. I think it's the only other way to do it. I remember when I first started playing, being totally fascinated by the fact that I could do this, win the game through this other method and i definitely tried a bunch of decks with uh millstone and and other bad cards all the way back to revise <laughs> yeah millstone i remember when i was playing in 95 even back then that was seen as like a spicy alternate win con like people had like mill decks even way back in you know fourth edition ice age yeah i also think in a lot of cases though this probably comes up a little bit more in limited this isn't exactly a way to win alternatively it's just a way to lose because you don't get anything (laughs) else done right yeah i I was gonna say zach i think that it's interesting that it's sort of considered a casual deck and i think there's a lot of interest by you know more kitchen table type fans because of the alternate win con that dave brought up it's just sort of like it's fun it's fun that people don't really think about losing in this fashion so when you're able to do it it feels cool feels fun so you know, in our deck dives that we do, we typically kind of go over the same format, right? We start with talking about uh, the cards that are in the deck, the strategies that go along with the cards that you're playing, maybe some sideboard cards, how to play it, and how to play against it. So let's start with the cards. And Zach, I think you have a lot of thoughts about these. Yeah. So for the cards for Mill, I think they can really be 
if not neatly, then sort of cleanly broken down into two categories. And those are cards that mill and cards that help you not to die. So then you can continue to mill the opponent. So for the second category, these tend to be more reactive controlling cards. Sometimes they're in the sideboard. Sometimes they're in the main board as one ofs or two ofs. And there's a lot of options. So we're going to go through them right now to let people sort of know what the deck is made out of. And then once again, to reiterate, when we say mill, the act of milling is putting cards from your library into your graveyard. Millstone. Shout out to that perennial favorite. So, beginning with the cards that are doing the namesake and milling the opponent, we'll start with probably the best mill card in the deck, which is Archive Trap. Three, blue-blue for an instant. That's so expensive. Right, but it's part of the trap cycle from original Zendikar, which had, if if certain conditions were met, they could be cast for a much lower casting cost. And this one is, if an opponent searched their library this turn, you may pay zero, as in free 99, rather than pay the spell's mana cost. And then what the spell actually does, target opponent puts the top 13 cards of their library into their graveyard. That's a lot of cards. That is the most a single card mills. Aside from a card will go over Mind Funeral, could potentially hit more, but that is a a random numbers thing, because you're milling until a certain point. Mm -hmm. Well, this one is just straight up 13. So So it's like nearly a quarter of the deck. Exactly. And then the whole thing is, once again, if opponent search their library, it's zero. And guess what is happening all the time in Modern? People are searching their libraries because eventually... Yeah, fetch lands, uh, what, there's uh, triggers from certain creatures. Expedition map. Yeah, all sorts of stuff. Tons of stuff. There's there's reasons for people to search their library. And we'll talk about ways that that this deck tries to force their opponent to search their library uh, in a little bit. Absolutely. Stan, were you a fan of Archive Trap? I loved Archive Trap. I totally agree with you that it's basically the strongest card in the deck, hands down. I think this is a card that was excellent in multiples because, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, if you have two in your opening hand and your opponent does a turn one fetch, you kind of just feel like you've done half the work already. I mean, it's definitely not in a vacuum the most powerful because there there is some setup. I mean, you play a deck like Hardened Scales and you're kind of sitting back saying, oh man, they're not going to fetch anytime mm-hmm. soon. Or Mono Red Prowess for that matter. Exactly. Yeah, there are times when having to force your opponent to search in some fashion does feel like a weakness, but it's also one of those things you can set up and you can sort of just sandbag them until you're able to cast them for free. Yeah. Very, very intense, interesting spell backbone of the deck, but not always consistent with the alternative cost. But moving on to one of the consistent and core cards of the deck and really what has made this deck able to exist on the fringes in general, a favorite and oldie glimpse the unthinkable, Blue-black for a sorcery. Target player puts the top 10 cards of their library into their graveyard. So for not, sure. Not 13, but 2 for 10. This card's pretty great. And it's one of those cards where you're happy to see it because it might finish off the last little bit. It's good to get 10 out. It's just... It's not the glue that holds it together because you know, it's part of the engine, but it's a card that I was never unhappy to see. Sure. It's just kind of... It's like getting a Lava Spike. If you're, sure. playing, if you're playing regular burn, that's kind of like you know your just default do three to the face this is just do 10 to the library uh it's sorcery you know gets the job done yeah i'm really going to love comparing a bunch of cards in this deck to cards in burn so for instance if this is lava spike i feel like archive trap is the boros charm as just the biggest burny beater of the mill strategy sure another no their burn spell does four for two mana right Mm -hmm. moving on 
Mind Funeral. Now, this card isn't played as much as it used to play appear at least in mill strategies but it's one of those cards that comes in and out of the format and of the deck and this is one blue black for a sorcery target opponent reveals cards from the top of their library until four land cards are revealed that player puts all cards revealed this way into their graveyard so i think most people would agree this is maybe like the weirdest mill spell of them all and one that could be wildly inconsistent Zach, haven't you seen it like do twenty in one game? I've I've watched it hit me for twenty. Well, my good friend, shout out to the listener of the show, Nick, has played Mill since I played Scred. It's his original modern deck, and I remember there were games where it's one, two, and you just keep counting, and like you you don't get four lands until your twenty first card, and like that's wild. Three mana to mill twenty, but then sometimes they hit four lands in a row, right? And that's the other end of that. But in general. You just the way most decks are these days. You don't usually get enough bang for your buck to include this over other mill spells or other removal spells for that matter. So when it's good, it's really good, but it can just be a little goofy sometimes. Yeah, I think there's like an, a mana efficiency issue here too. Um, you know, when we talk about a, a later card in mission briefing, you want to be able to have enough mana to cast mission briefing, cast a spell in your graveyard. And, you know, double spelling is always generally good. So a three mana sorcery spell is not necessarily the thing you always want to be doing, especially with the variability inherent in it. My deck that I played didn't even have this card. Before we move on, I do want to mention one more card. It's a split card from Dragon's Maze. Um, one half of it is breaking a blue and a black for a sorcery. Target player puts the top eight cards of their library into their graveyard. So it does an impression of Glimpse the Unthinkable, but ends up to just being a little underrate, and it doesn't have the consistent effect you want it to. And it really does seem like Glimpse is the gold standard, and that to be included in mill, you have to either be a repeatable mill effect or do more milling than that. Let's move on to the critters because Mill does have several creatures in its suite that help activate its plan, almost like Burn has Monastery Swiftspear and Goblin Guide. Yeah, I think what's interesting, I've lost to this deck many, many times and beat this deck many, many times. I think the creatures... Humble, humble brag. Well, you know, a lot of matches. Um, I think the creatures are surprisingly good and important in this, in this deck as far as just making sure that they get a bunch of early momentum going on, especially... Hedron Crab. So Stan, tell us about Hedron Crab. So Hedron Crab is an O2 that costs just blue mana, a single blue mana, and it has a landfall trigger. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, target player puts the top three cards of their library into their graveyard. So this is a card that gets a huge boost from the fact that Blue Black Mill gets to play fetch lands and field of ruin so whether you're cracking a fetch or activating a field of ruin you get two count them two crab triggers for the price of one yeah i kind of consider this card like the monastery swift spear where it's a consistent little sort of beater where it's you know it's not actually attacking the opponent's life total but their library total it's you know it's easy to kill but if you just continually make your land drops, you know, rather than casting spells like Monastery Swiss Beer, you're just chipping away at that library total over and over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. It's not exactly comparable in this way, but it is a card that gets considerably worse in the late game and is a terrible top deck when you need really a lot of other things to finish off your opponent. You can do things like save fetch lands in hopes of a crab like this, or you know, save them in hoping of activating other cards as well but in general it's 
I like it. It's very good, but it's a card that really shines in the early game, especially in multiples in the early game. For sure. It's a card you want to be seeing early. Absolutely. Shane, you're the Manic Scribe. The Manic Scribe. Yeah, you went to you went to grad school for Manic Scribing, didn't you? That's that's <laughs> Like uh you mean manuscripts? Sure. <laughs> Neither, but I'm here. <laughs> Let's talk about Manic Scribe. It's a one in the blue for a 3 and the text reads, When Manic Scribe enters the battlefield, each opponent puts the top three cards of their library into their graveyard. Uh, Delirium. At the beginning of each up- opponent's upkeep, if there are four or more card types among cards in your graveyard, that player puts the top three cards of their library into their graveyard. So this card has definitely come in and out of these decks since it's printing uh, the deck that I ran actually had no manic scribes at all. Sure. The ET, the ETB is kind of barely effective uh, on its own. So you really have to want to have delirium enabled for yourself. So, you know, if it read that, you know, delirium for your opponent triggered, mm-hmm. then that would be a no brainer because you're so frequently you know, going to enable something something like Delirium because of the milling you're doing on them. So there is a lot of self-mill that does happen as kind of a byproduct of some of the artifacts that you'll play and things like that, but you're not really going to be enabling Delirium in a consistent way. What did you guys experience when you played? You mean, you actually played the card. I did not. Yeah, so I this is a card I have a complicated relationship with, because like I just said, I think for two mana and mill, you need to mill at least 10 cards, if not more, as part of the Glimpse the Unthinkable sort of standard we're going to hold these cards to. So for this to be on that level, you have to get Delirium three times, because it mills three when it comes into play, and then two triggers is just nine total, which is still below rate. So I think this is a kind of a high ceiling to make, but the ability to buy a turn by blocking is big. So I think even, I don't know if that changes my my you know glimpsy unthinkable paradigm or standard i'm holding it to but i think that this is a card that when it's good it's really good and like appelling you to victory but there are times where you're only getting the etb and then it's dying and i don't i don't know i think you probably need to run some number but i and maybe would start with two in general i agree with what you both are saying and on its face i'd agree that this is probably just the weakest creature if not one of the weakest cards in the deck I found that it actually started to shine most when my opponents were playing more interactive strategies. So if they were killing my Hedron Crabs, or if I was able to play multiples and block with one to get into the graveyard, or if they were destroying my artifacts, basically if my opponent was actively putting cards into my graveyard, that's when Manic Scribe started to carry more of its weight. But at the same time, this is one of the first cards that I was putting into my sideboard when I was bringing in more matchup-dependent control spells. Yeah, I personally just find this card to be too low floor. You know, I think the I value agree. the value is probably there, but I just don't see the I don't see the value can certainly be there, but I don't see it being there consistently enough, and I don't want to play cards at this low floor. Yeah, you alluded to it being really good with Mesmeric Orb, which is a card we'll talk about shortly. But it's good with that and the synergy there, it can definitely lead to a one two punch where you're milling so many cards it's ridiculous. But I agree with you that overall, it can be really good, but also it can be very bad. Also, Shane, I want to make one comment with regard to you saying this creature has a low floor. And I think that's sort of true of all the cards in Mill. 
They have pretty <laughs> low floors, but they all work in concert with one another. Some better than others. Yeah, I mean the the real problem with the spells that you guys have all gone over, the problem is they don't have they a, don't affect the board. They don't have a fail state. <laughs> yeah, they don't have a fail state. Yeah. So like a bunch of the cards in burn can kill a creature or do something else <clears throat> to help you last. Where the spells in mill, they the only thing that they do is take you to that binary decision of did I hit my opponent for 60 or did I not? And that's, that's right. the only thing that matters. And so it's tough when they're all single purpose and they don't, they don't have like a, an alternate use for, for most of the cards here. Yeah. I think Dave, that's an interesting point where like in burn, like, like you, like you were mentioning, there are alternate uses for the cards or many of the cards in the deck. Um, when we talk about the cards that help you not die while you are milling, which is kind of, that's kind of a, the, a, a wordy umbrella of cards. I know it's pretty good, but, right? Yeah. But I think it's interesting, right? Is like the, the amount of mill you do per card is substantial enough that they're worth playing, but then you do have to run the other cards along with it. It'd be like if burn was somehow like a burn control deck Mm -hmm. where you needed to stop your opponent while you played like a burn spell that did six damage or something (laughs) like that. No, because that that would be even better, actually. I I, I don't think this is Dave's point, and I don't think this, but the issue, one of the issues with mill and why it's so fringe is that there, for a card to be included in the deck, the threshold is so high that they can't really include it. And I, I think, honestly, a part of this is limited in mind because milling and limited can be so unfun and so brutal that I think there is a concern there for a card that, like, Glimpse the Unthinkable, if there's other mill strategies in a limited set, it's just brutal. It's insane because you only have 40 cards to start with. And it can just be, all right, so I've milled you yeah. to nine on turn three. All right, boop, here we go. Like, obviously, it's extreme. It's a hypothetical. But I do think that there is a really high threshold, and cards do have to be like archive trapped to a degree, where there are hoops to jump through, so it can actually get into modern. Yeah, I mean, people love mill. Like we talked about at the beginning, people want it want it to be good enough to be fun, but they don't want it to be good enough to be competitive. Probably, I f- hmm. I feel like that's the same way in limited. Honestly, I don't know if people remember uh, Magic Origins limited, where they had that one uh, like. Oh, God, I can't remember the name of the card. It was Sphinx's Tutelage. Sphinx's Tutelage. Thank you so much. Where toot, toot. that was just rolling people, and people hated yep. playing against that card. I think that Mill occasionally, as an archetype and limited, can be a lot of fun, and it's it's a nice thing to have. I mean, it comes up every once in a while. I, I don't think people worry that much about it being good and limited. I think that they mostly just don't want to make it where... I think this is one of those things where it's really easy to have a tipping point where it becomes too easy to mill somebody for 60. If you print the wrong card, it's like, do we want to have a card that costs two mana to mill 15 cards? Like, but that's what mill needs to make it super viable at the same time. Like, we probably don't want that. (laughs) So. All right. So, yeah, we talked about the creatures, but we have kind of more static effects in uh, other forms as well, right? We have sort of like artifacts, enchantments, even planeswalkers. Yeah, so we're going to start with an enchantment that doesn't see consistent play. I've seen it anywhere from a zero to a three of, in all honesty. And this is Fraying Sanity. Two and a blue enchantment. It's a curse, so you enchant not you, but an opponent. Enchant player. At the beginning of each end step, enchanted player puts the top X cards of their library into their graveyard where X is the number of cards put into that graveyard from anywhere this turn. 
So basically, at the end of their turn, however many things got put into the graveyard, put that many also from the library into the graveyard. So it doubles mill, it's good with board wipes, it helps even with field of ruin and things like that. But the game does need to be milling things or things need to be entered in the graveyard for it to be any good. It doesn't do anything inherently by itself. Yeah, my deck didn't run this um, at all. I think it's a little bit too expensive at 3 CMC and it's a little bit too conditional. It doesn't do anything by itself just sitting there. So, I mean, I can sort of equate it to just maybe a win more type card or just you don't want to run conditional cards like this in modern typically especially at that that cost maybe if this was two i personally really like this card for what it's worth i um i don't know if it's because i have like a predisposition towards it but i really enjoy and like the mid-range grindy mirrors and this card really shines there when things can get a little stalemate and both players are in top deck mode, I feel like there are cards going slowly to the graveyard, whether it be players cracking lands, fetch lands, whether it be them trying to draw cards. But I feel like this gives you that little extra reach, and especially it helps when both players are in top deck mode. I know it's not quite the same as the card we're going to talk about in a second, Mesmeric Orb. Obviously, that's just way better than this. But I think this has a place, especially alongside that card. Yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I do not feel like I want this card in my deck. Like, I didn't think okay. I missed something like this. The whole thing about um, mills, you can build it to your, your design, your desire. Well, I mean, I think there's. I think that building it to your design also doesn't mean that there are, like, objectively better ways to do it. I think that I've, I really felt like I wanted to be mana efficient in in my deck. Like, I didn't really see a lot of space for expensive spells like this. That's really a concern of mine, but I understand. Shane, I've got a great spell for you. Can I interest you in a mesmeric orb? Would you like to buy an orb? Circular and sweet. I don't Round understand. it on the outside. Metallic underneath. Is that, Is that Sondheim? It'll cost you just a nickel. A nickel? It's Sesame Street, you you young bucks. I, I don't go to the theater very often. I thought that was something from, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like a weird musical with bad music. Uh, wait, wait Which what's is, his Lost in the Woods? Yeah, I was gonna, what's this thing that's what about? I was trying to think of, is Lost in the Woods, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Into the Woods, it's called. Into the Woods. Steven Sondheim, come on our podcast. Get at us, Steven Sondheim, Into the Woods. <laughs> no, Mesmeric Orb's great. I mean, it's 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 one of the super value-generating cards. You know, a lot of people don't really run main deck artifact, hate. Uh, but what does it do? Now they do, because of Stoneforge Mystic. But, but what does it do? Right, read it. Whenever a permanent becomes untapped, that permanent's controller puts the top card of their library into their graveyard. So this is perhaps the only, or one of the only, symmetrical effects in Mill. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but this is the card that every time I play against a Mill deck, I'm like, I'm home free. I got 30 cards left. I'm tapped out. Yeah. I'm beating you down. <laughs> I've got like two turn clock going. I'm going to be okay, and you're out of cards. And then they play Mesmeric Orb, and I'm like, wait. Wait, yeah. wait. Huh? Ten cards? Wait. What? I can't. I can't do anything. My my coatle is tapped, and everything I have is no! tapped, and I can't do anything anymore. No! This is yeah. It really puts a strain on the resources. Yeah, this like the mana resources, mm -hmm. especially. This is the card that every time I play against Mill for real, I'm just like, it. It kills. I forget it exists, and then it kills me. Totally, very impressive performer as me. I think it's even peskier than the Hedron Crab since it's a little harder to interact with and scales throughout the game. So its impact gets more impactful as your opponents are 
playing more lands and casting bigger spells. Um, so earlier I said that Archive Trap was the best mill spell. Do you think this card's better than Archive Trap? No. I don't. Okay. I'd say it's one of the, Dave mentioned an interesting thing where he was giving an example where he kind of had a clock, you know, it was late game. I think that oftentimes if the opponent is presenting a clock and you don't have removal to get rid of that, they don't really have to be tapping much besides like a creature or two. Like let's say they have like a five six Tarmogoyf, they have a you know or a five five Gurmag Angler, and they're just swinging into you. It's like there's untapping and only putting like a single card into the graveyard, so it's no big deal. I mean, if they have to be casting a lot of expensive spells and then they untap all their lands and put a bunch more, that does a lot more for sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I found is that with cards and decks that want to draw more cards, basically, or you're trying to, like, cycle to your answers, you know, if they drop this after a turn where you've tapped for five or, God forbid, you're playing blue-white control and you've attacked with a celestial colonnade or something like that, (laughs) you're just kind of like, Oh, God, oh, God, no. (laughs) You know, there's lots of ways where I feel like they can kind of take command of the game where, you know, using some of the removal that that mill has, they can kill your creatures, and then you're just kind of like locked out to where you you have to cast four drops in order able to get out of it and then you're just done Mm -hmm. so from what dave is saying is i get the understanding that mesmeric orb is good when you want to catch your opponent unaware or on the back foot a little bit do you think this is a card that you wouldn't want to just slam down on turn two if you had it or is it just good in both scenarios it's good if you have it early you want to slam it down or is it better to wait for your opponent to be tapped out and then to get them I think it's good in both scenarios. This is a great turn two play if I don't have Glimpse the Unthinkable. Now, this card's better than Glimpse the Unthinkable on two. You always play this on two. Okay. I don't right. disagree, but I'm... Because it just sur- keeps chipping away. Yeah. Well, you think you, you think it's like a... It's not like a... You don't catch them off guard. I mean, like, e- even if they don't... If they're not tapping their mana because they don't want to untap to take mill damage, great. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I wasn't... I don't think it's some ultimate control bomb. I was just saying that, wow, how good... It, how amazing it is that it's good in both scenarios. Mm. I believe it was Shane who first compared it to Goblin Guide, and I find that that comparison is very apt since it's just this very repeated, reliable source of library burn. Yeah. I wonder if it's more comparable to Eidolon and the Great Revel in this scenario. Mm. Yes, I, yeah, that's a good, I that's love a good, that. That's nice. That's a good comparison. For because sure. it punishes yeah, because you it, for trying to play your game. Exactly. And the whole thing is, it, they would in both scenarios might be wary of casting spells, and if so, also good for you. Yeah. Cool. Zach's metaphor is better. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate yeah, it. Shane. Yeah, I mean, why don't you think about that when we're doing the notes? Now you just maybe look stupid on the air. <laughs> oh, I know. It feels, I feel powerful. What can I say? Moving on to Planeswalkers, though. Please. We're going to start with... And both of these Planeswalkers are, don't have to be played main deck. I think they more are than aren't. And I know that sometimes they are in the sideboard as well, and maybe it's one main, one side, what have you. But note, these cards are absolutely in the 75, usually somewhere. So we're going to start with Ashiok, Nightmare Weaver, and they are a one blue-black for three loyalty Planeswalker with three abilities. The first one, plus two loyalty, exile the top three cards of target opponent's library. Hey, we're milling, but better mill. Goes into exile. Second ability, minus X. Put a creature card with converted mana cost X exiled with Ashiok, Nightmare Weaver onto the battlefield under your control. That creature is a nightmare. Addition to its other types. 
Spooky. I know. <laughs> Scary. Out there. That creature is and finally, woven in addition to its other types. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they know a little bit of crochet. Not a big deal. Finally, the ultimate. Minus 10. Exile old cards from all opponents' hands and graveyards. Honestly, not that powerful of an ultimate. No. <laughs> there are a couple times where I had this card at 10 and just went, I don't think I, I, don't think I ultimate this card right now. <laughs> no. You're like, I'm going to keep exiling three. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Until next week, don't ultimate. So it can be good, exiling guards in the top of the library, obviously part of your game plan, and occasionally you can nab a creature afterwards that allows you to totally stabilize and block your strategy. But it can be inconsistent. And I found that, although sometimes it could be great, often it would just mill two, or mill, sorry, often it would just mill three and then die, which is bad rate for a three mana card. Yeah, I played two versions of this deck. One of them had Ashiok, Nightmare Weaver in the main. The other one had them in the side. And ultimately, I found that I preferred Ashiok in the sideboard because it did the most work when it was stealing creatures. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise... What we talked about earlier, just milling three isn't a great rate for this deck, Mm -hmm. but being able to use creatures to protect yourself from your opponent's creatures or just to have a new line of pressuring your opponent's life total was where it did the most work in my mind. There's also Ashiok Dream Render, which is a, the card that I played main just as a one of. It's a one with a hybrid blue-black, blue-black for a five loyalty walker. And the static is spells and abilities your opponent's control can't cause their controller to search a library, which is a perfectly nice static in a lot of cases. But then minus one, the uh, target player puts the top four of their library into their graveyard, then exile each opponent's graveyard. So... The static's valuable, and the minus is great to provide mill value while also hurting decks that want access to the graveyard. I got a question. Why, why is Ashiok weaving stuff and rending stuff? Just like putting it together and taking it apart, the two different Ashioks. That's not not Ooh. very nice. Making making nightmares and ripping up dreams. That's kind of what, what mill is all about. <laughs> so one of the things that I found really cool about Dream Render is that the static ability locks down their fetches, but your field of ruin still forces them to search their library. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, quite nice. So that's one of the reasons why I think that perhaps this one might have a better home in the main, but at the same time, I still preferred keeping mine in the side using the decks that I was experimenting with. Yeah, I mean... Mills four instead of three, it is a minus, but the exile is handy. Sometimes, you know, opponents do have flashback spells or graveyard abilities, and you can incidentally help them with mill, and this is a nice clean catch to that. Dredge. So another one of the large categories of cards in this deck are essentially the cards that make you not die while you're able to, you know, get your mill engine going and to cast the mill cards you're drawing off the top of your deck and drawing into. So a lot of those are instant and sorcery, so we'll talk about that group right now. And one of my favorites was Visions from Beyond, which is a blue instant, single blue for an instant. It just reads, draw a card. If a graveyard has 20 or more cards in it, draw three cards instead. That's good value. Yeah, he doesn't love Ancestral Recall. <laughs> it's absurd. It's so, so, so good. So it's either going to be you know a pretty weak cantrip or just flat out the best draw spell in modern. Yep. I think you're, Stan, you, you say that you're saying in when we were chatting that you've never had it draw three, which is insane to me. How is that possible? Uh, like, were you just not getting, I'd... you're not getting cards into your opponent's graveyard? Or maybe he's not drawing visions from beyond, Shane. 
yeah, no. that's part of it. Also, it's just a card that I didn't hold until later. Oh. If I had it, if I had it early, and I wasn't spending my mana on something more important, I would just cash it in to get through my deck faster. I think because I think the density of burn spells is more important than holding this up to draw three. No, I, th- I think unless you're unless you're out of cards, I think there's not a good reason to do. I that. agree. Unless this is the only card left in your hand besides the yeah. land or something like that, I think you wait and hope to get three and then go off from the three you get. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, if you're stalled out, then cycle it. And yeah. You can always, like, get it, you know, mission briefing it back later. But, yeah, like, just it's so easy to get 20 cards into a, into a graveyard that the value is outrageous. In some games, it's easy. In some games, you have to work for it, especially post board. I think this when helps you work for it. A bunch though. of control spells. No, I totally agree. It helps you work for it. And sometimes I think getting to the mill spells, you just have to cycle this card. I mean, I I would say that I cast it for three like 85% of the time. That's a, that's, wow. that's a very high number. <laughs> wow. That's just the, the 20 cards. It's not like it's like 40. It's 20 cards, baby. It's not a big deal. It doesn't mean nothing. So I don't love her the way I love my, you. My impression of this is that this is a deck that fails on card advantage in a lot of ways and so you yes. have to hold this up to get card advantage because it's one of the only multiple for ones that you have in the deck really dave really what i feel like is if i turned this deck in as a term paper to you you would just not grade it and instead write see me after class we need to talk <laughs> i mean i like i said i've lost this deck plenty of times so it's i i recognize that it can be good and ancestral recall is very very good so try to make an ancestral recall one of my absolute favorite cards that kept me from losing the game was Crypt Incursion. Oh, yeah. Oh, two, this, this card. Insane. Two and a black for an instant. Why is it an instant? <laughs> Exile all creature cards from target player's graveyard. You gain three life for each card exiled this way. This is the card that named this category. Cards that not help you die was named to and brought <laughs> you by Crypt Incursion because it helped me not die so many times. The fact that it was an instant I found really cool because I would just hold this up until after my Mesmeric Orb put more cards in my opponent's graveyard. Mm -hmm. Likewise, sometimes you could even just hold it up because you've archive trapped someone. Feels good. I had one game against Tooth and Nail where I was milling them. I Crypt Incursioned, got myself to 53 life. Seems good. My, My opponent with... Like five cards in their library comboed off anyway <laughs> and swung for 43 damage. <gasps> I won with 10 life thanks to Krypton Curtain gaining me 40. Yeah, this is one of those cards that when you're playing an aggressive creature deck and you face down Mill and they cast this against you, you're just like, oh, okay, you know, I, I concede. <laughs> it's, just like, it's just like an instant concede from you know, any aggressive <laughs> totally. creature strategy. Totally. I have the joy of seeing this card go from a sideboard inclusion in my friend's deck to one copy in the main to two copies in the main, and now he's up to three copies in the main, and he just loves it. And, like, it obviously depends on the meta you're in, but in a, a meta where there's a lot of creature decks, like, like we said, it's an instant. It helps you survive. Like, I played games where I got up to 45, 50 life, and just, like, I think I can kind of just sit pretty from here, and my opponent can't win anymore. Yeah. Sometimes gaining life can be good. Where'd you hear that at? I mean, they do often ask, how many life would you have to be able to gain off of a single card to make it worth it? And it sounds like the answer is 40. (laughs) (laughs) 
You know what? Yeah, 40, and it also has to exile graveyards. That's yeah. really what we're saying right Perfect, now. and cost three. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll cast 13 healing salves for the <laughs> you know, low, low price of two and a black. So the next card is one that I'm happy to talk about because it's like a better Snapcaster Mage, except uh, not usually or almost not ever. And that's Mission Briefing. This is the one time it is a better Snapcaster Mage. Blue, blue, instant, surveil two. Then choose any instant or sorcery card in your graveyard. You may cast that card this turn. If that card would be put into your graveyard this turn, exile it instead. So the wording here, super important. The difference between this and Snapcaster Mage, where Snapcaster makes the CMC of a card its flashback cost, this just says that you get to cast that card again this turn. So alternate conditions, such as that on Archive Trap, can be used again in a way that they cannot with Snapcaster Mage. Yeah, so I think we should probably talk about what Surveil is, which is you look at the top two cards of your library when you cast it, and then you can choose to put them on top of your library or in your graveyard. So it's what's cool about that is it lets you do a little setup of your coming draws. If you want to, you know, flashback the spell you surveil or you, you know cast that card from your graveyard, doesn't actually have the text flashback, then you can do that. So I think this is one of the cards that I wanted to t- top deck often. Right. You know, th- th- there's so much self mill. You frequently have a lot of good choices in your own graveyard. So, like, it's like, do I need life gain from Crypt Incursion? Do I need to draw some cards with visions from be- of beyond? Do I need that final mill spell just to finish them off? You know, these were all frequent options that I wanted to have access to. I only ran two mission briefing in my deck, but I really could consider going to three just for the flexibility that it provides. Yeah, I honestly think this was the card that pushed Mill into playability or into the realm of, like, competitively viable. Like, this being able to, as we mentioned, pay the zero-cost archive trap is unreal, but the surveil is just gravy on top of it. Because you're, say you already have the target, then you maybe get to mill a land and smooth out your draw. Why the heck not? I really like this card. I really feel like every time I saw it, I was not unhappy. And like Shane said, even casting that mana to draw three... Three blue to draw three cards to rail two? Seems okay to me. So, one of the most recent additions from Corset 20 is Scheming Symmetry, which is just a single black mana, sorcery, choose two target players. Each of them searches their library for a card, then shuffles their library and puts that card on top of it. So, this is you know aptly named. It is a symmetrical effect where both you and your opponent get to put a card on top of their library. So Mill is a great place for this card conceptually, right? Because it does two things. It forces the search, which enables your archive traps, but it also can really easily be made non-symmetrical by you casting any Mill card or triggering landfall on your Hedron Crab, you know, field of ruining them, whatever you can do to turn over that top card that is put there uh, into the graveyard. This is a pretty skill-testing card. What are you grabbing? What did they grab? Did they really want that card, or was it just kind of a decoy card? And so I think that Scheming Symmetry is a card that I didn't test really extensively. I only put it into a deck for a couple of rounds. But I think that it's got a lot of power. And maybe like if a flex spot is something like Inquisition or Kozilek or Scheming Symmetry, it's probably going to be a payoff for you to test scheming symmetry for a while over something like simple hand disruption 
So there are a slew of pretty modern staple control cards in Mill. So you've got Fatal Push for small creature removal. You've got Collective Brutality for some life gain removal or discard effects. Murderous Cut pops up occasionally to remove creatures at instant speed and make use of your graveyard as a resource. Inquisition of Kozilek, you know what this card does. Set Adrift doesn't see a ton of play usually, but it's a way to bounce permanence at instant speed. Set Adrift doesn't just bounce, it puts them on top of the library, so you can then mill them. So it's better than just bouncing if you have the ability to mill right away. Or do something like even Set Adrift in the Field of Ruins, they shuffle it back into their library. Totally. And Damnation also appears in this deck in the main or the side as a sweeper. There's also one more creature that comes in and out of mill that's not always a way to keep you from dying. It's almost like a weird way to help you win off a of plan B. And it was one that I liked a lot, actually, which was Jace's Phantasm. A single blue for a 1-1 flyer that gets plus 4, plus 4, as long as an opponent has 10 or more cards in the graveyard. I found it was not uncommon for it to be a 5-5 as early as turn 2. I just sort of have issues with this card because it's not really on your primary game plan. To me, it it seemed like maybe blue-white control bringing in a Baneslayer Angel, where they're like, here's my post-sideboard alternate win con where that you were, weren't expecting to remove this creature. But I think that most decks that are running removal are going to keep it in for the, you know, for the crab. Mm-hmm. So I don't really see where this kind of gets people. Right. No, I totally agree. It, it's, it's good in that sometimes they don't have the removal and only a couple swings and they're dead. But I find for the most part, you want to be milling and you have so few good mill cards that you really need to be able to consistently hit them and do it. And this can help you survive in that it can block or that, you know, it can be a a thing in the air that prevents you from getting attacked. But I find that it's just not quite enough on plan for me. It feels a little bit to me like putting an Ink Moth Nexus in your burn deck. Sure. You're kind of like, oh, it's an alternate (laughs) win con. It's a land that I can attack with, but it has infect. So it it sort of cross purposes. So as I mentioned, I use two different mill decks for my testing because there's no uniformity practically or no agreed upon mill stock list Uh, and this was in the second one and i was very pleasantly surprised by this and i thought one of the nice things about it was when people were using their removal spells on this instead of a hedron crab and also when my opponents were interacting with my board instead of my hand i thought that was a benefit to me because i'm not playing to the board so i know i sometimes have an inflated opinion of lightning rods but at the same time a 5-5 five, five ends the game in yeah, four turns. I would so. just ask what card it replaced in that second list and what you uh, what you missed out on by not playing it. So I would just keep that in, in mind where it's kind of like, well, if I if I played these over Manic Scribes, it's like, would, have been, would I have been better just getting the six mil off of it instead? Absolutely. And that's my conundrum. I think it's a card that keep an eye on and may one day find its way back into mil 75 consistently this might be one of those ones where there needs to be another card that is a cheap uh the redundancy that we talk about yeah kind of like oh if there were eight cards that were like this so you could mill and get some benefit off of it might be worth it but so moving on to the final category for cards to keep you alive and artifacts and enchantments and a land to be named later we start with profane memento which is a one mana artifact whenever a creature card is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere you gain one life 
So that could be discarding the card, that could be it being milled, that could be it being destroyed via creature combat or a kill spell. I liked this. I had two in my sideboard and brought them in frequently, and it won me matches against Burn twice. It's fun to be able to mill their stuff, gain life, and then use Crypt Incursion. So is this something you had main deck? No, I had sideboard. Okay, got it. Yeah, I, I haven't seen this in any main deck list that I was looking at. I didn't see it in in any of my seven in the seventy five of any of my lists. I like the uh, concept of it for sure. Yeah, it's more fringe, but I it's something easy to play on turn one, and then either they have to destroy it, which is taking up cards, and they can go ahead and spend their time doing that. But usually, you're able to gain a good chunk of life to a degree where it's worth the one card. Yeah, I think the next card in ensnaring bridge you know we most of us know what that is it's a three mana artifact where you, they can't attack your their creatures can't attack you unless they have power fewer equal to or less than than the number of cards that you have so this is kind of the anti-aggro or even you know anti-finisher card that keeps you alive so when you are low on cards in your hand, your opponent's creatures aren't able to attack you, and it just keeps you alive so you can draw into your you know, mill cards, you can draw into your mission briefing to recast a mill card from the graveyard, you draw into your draw spells to finish them off. So I think that this is the card that I saw both main and side uh, more than Profane Memento. Yeah, I love the card. Really, really great helping you stabilize, really great helping you turn the heel when things are too bad. I personally am a fan of two main and one side. Love the card. Yeah, that's what I ran. Two main, one side. Sure, and the land that we want to talk about in this section is kind of a unique one called Shell Dock Isle. It's got hideaway, so when this land enters the battlefield, it comes in tapped. And when it does, you look at the top four cards of your library, exile one face down, then put the rest on the bottom of your library. It also taps for blue mana and has the ability where you can pay a blue and tap it. You may play the exiled card without paying its mana cost if a library has 20 or fewer cards in it. So this card reminded me personally a little bit of Visions from Beyond because meeting the requirement to get the value out of it sometimes felt like a win more where if I already have like 20 cards in my library or 20 cards in my opponent's library, I'm pretty much on plan, and this just kind of helps close the game. But also learning what the best card to put under Isle was a lesson in and of itself, since by the time this land is live, you're looking for tools to finish off your opponent. So as a result, some of my favorite cards to put here were either Archive Trap, which, you know, usually by then I was able to hard cast it if no one was searching through their libraries. Um... Even Glimpse the Unthinkable, Visions of Beyond, and Jace's Phantasm were always pretty good for me under a Sheldock Isle. Oh yeah, it's a great card. I frequently found myself top decking with this deck, and this is just one of the tools that keeps you able to have both some selection and some endgame value to just finish them off. All right, so these are all the cards, but what do they really do? How does this deck work? We've kind of danced around the subject. My personal <laughs> opinion... This is a control deck that's looking to burn out the opponent. It's just not using any red spells to burn, and it's not attacking your life total. It's attacking your library. And that's an exact quote from September 16th, 2019. <laughs> I mean, a large part of that is because it has so few tools to win outside of its mill plan. Like Dave said, yeah. And you're really just trying to keep your head above water long enough to put your engine together. So, Stan, I hadn't really thought of this as an engine before. I just kind of thought of this as a... 
uh, pile burn of cards. deck. Yeah, well, I mean, a pile of cards, <laughs> but like he said, a burn deck where it's kind of like, I got to top deck a lava spike to finish this game off. So sure, the sure. idea of it being an engine's a little different. What, what do you mean by that in this deck? Yeah, so I sort of came around to thinking of it as an engine because you're not usually winning just off the back of archive traps and glimpse the unthinkables. So I did the math and perhaps the ideal opening hand that this deck can have is four traps, one glimpse, and two lands. And that will win you on turn two if your opponent fetches even one time. But the chances of having that hand by turn two is literally less than 1%. I think it's one one hundredth of a percent, right? Is what we figured out. One in 10,000 times. Yeah. So instead, what you're doing is casting cards like Mesmeric Orb and Hedron Crab and using control spells to just kind of keep yourself alive while you chip away at your opponent's library, whether making big chips with your mill cards or small chips with your enabling cards. Yeah, I think it's interesting, Stan, and you brought this up uh, in our conversation earlier, is that the control deck portion of this is really tuned for creatures. Like, it's not running a lot of counter spells. It's not running a lot of ways to shut down, let's say, like a combo opponent, right? So it has ensnaring bridge. It has removal. It has damnation. It has collective brutality. It's all about sort of staying alive in that fashion, which I think is kind of a potential weakness of the deck. Because if you face on a deck that's not really creature-based, you have dead cards in your main deck and the ensnaring bridge if you choose to run those. So I think that that is a potential area of weakness when the game plan has perhaps too many dead cards game one. So we've talked about what the deck's plan is. So let's talk about how the deck is going to sideboard if you're playing against it or if you want to play it. So a big part of this deck and a really powerful sideboard card, we have an whole episode dedicated to it, Surgical Extraction. So this is crazy good, ridiculously good here, because you are putting cards in the opponent's graveyard. Because you are likely to hit important pieces to their deck, Surgical Extraction is a card you should expect to see especially if you're running a combo deck or a deck that's based around a couple cards. Oh, yeah. I ran three of these main deck. Woo, baby. I think, yeah. it's, wow. I think it's exceptionally useful in mill because you gain so much exposure to their deck very quickly as you're milling it over, and you can remove the win cons or other key cards to hamper their game plan. I think this is one of the best places that an argument for main deck surgical can even be made. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. And even where the format is at right now, I think there's so many great targets for Surgical. Thopter Foundry, Valakit, Primeval Titan, Prized Amalgam. I mean, I faced against Emrakul decks twice, and Emrakul is such a hilarious way to beat Mill that it was so important for me to have Surgical so I can respond to that Emrakul trigger and keep them from rebuilding their library over and over. They still shuffle, but only once. I also think it's, it's really important I think, to not look at Surgical as a scalpel in this deck because it's just value. Like, if you you have 35 of their cards in the graveyard and you're like, okay, they're going to want to win through Thought Not Seer and Reality Smasher beats and you Surgical those cards and you put a huge, you know, crimp in their plan, then that is value. So that didn't really cost you too much in terms of you exacting your game plan because it's not like you took out a mill card 
torn a surgical extraction. You're just running a card to help keep you alive by removing the key cards or even the value cards from your opponent's library. So Mill is a black deck. It gets to play Plague Engineer in its sideboard as another tool to deal with creature strategies. Yeah, I mean, it takes care of Thopter tokens. You know, we, we've talked about Plague, Plague Engineer a number of times on the podcast, and it's a perfectly valid addition to the sideboard of this deck. It's just another card from Modern Horizon everybody hates to love. Occasionally, Mill does want some access to graveyard hate, so Ravenous Trap is really good here. Graftigger's Cage can be useful to hold back dredge creatures or Snapcaster Mage targets. Obviously, the Surgicals we mentioned earlier, and Leyline of the Void as well. And also Leyline of Sanctity too, right? Oh, totally. Sometimes Leyline of Sanctity will come in because Burn can be a reliable strategy against Mill. And likewise, because, as Dave mentioned, there's so few ways to earn card advantage in Mill... I found that Thoughtseize effects were super punishing because I needed that critical mass of mill cards to execute my plan. Yeah, I felt the same way, Stan. Do you think that's why Burn is so popular right now? They're responding to the the mill meta? It's Miller time, as we all know. (laughs) So this is how mill works. You're probably shaking in your boots now. How are we going to beat this deck, this, this format menace that's just hiding around the edges, waiting under your bed to sneak up on you? A watcher in the night, truly. So I think Leyline of Sanctity is very, very strong, yeah. just because it blanks so many of the mill cards. All the mill cards are targeting an opponent, and unless they have set adrift or a different type of bounce effect, there's just almost no way to get around that. The exception being maybe if you start milling yourself and then you're beating down with a Jace's Phantasm and that just feels like a really desperate play. Absolutely. I feel like another really good way to combat mill or things that are really good against mill are just aggro strategies in general. Whether that be burn or dredge or any other thing you want to describe as a go fast deck. Mill is really controlling and does take a little bit to go off. It's burn if burn were slower and had to protect itself like Dave said. So Decks that can just go fast are usually often able to just beat Mill in the race. Emrakul? Just jam an Emrakul in your deck. Mill <laughs> can almost never beat it. They need surgical. No downside at all. Just put Emrakul yeah, in everything. You don't even have to be able to cast it. No. Just, yeah. just put one in your 60. So here's a concept I want to run past y'all. What do you think about playing with more than 60 cards in your deck post-board? I think that is a net benefit to the mill player because you're probably effectively invalidating one card it's like you you need one more mill card than the cards you're leaving in and you're just severely hampering your game plan by having a bunch of your sideboard cards that may be completely useless okay so counterpoint though because i put so many cards in i got a mulligan more because i'm not hitting my land drops so i'm all going to four and keep isn't that actually better? Because now there are three more cards. Maybe they're two mill cards away. Uh, Think about that. Checkmate. Yeah, They're just going to kill you with Hedron Crab. Oh, God, no. I don't have any removal. I'm holding to four. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think the math is probably not going to support that. I think it's not. It's more than just math, too. I think it's just the fact that you have all these extra potentially useless cards. Yeah. And, and that's card disadvantage for you. Because, like I said, I think, you know, that's one more archive trap, one more glimpsey unthinkable that they have to cast to get those cards out of your library. And you're top decking like a Celestial Purge that has no targets. I feel like this is something I would have done before I was on slash listened to our math episode, but will no longer do after I was on slash heard our math episode. 
Well, I'm glad you heard it and hosted it, so appreciate it. Well, it's important that you listen to your content creation, okay, Dave? So I have one last question here in the how to beat it section. So this is a kind of short list of strategies that beat mill directly. Do you feel like one kind of thing that's left off this list is uh, wait for it, wait for it to fail? Oh, how, I mean, you guys played the deck. How often do you feel like it just kind of failed naturally? It does lose to itself sometimes, but I don't think more than mono red prison does quite frankly. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean by lose to itself? Like just not draw the library burn spells? Yeah, like draw a whole bunch of enablers that don't really help you advance its plan and not not get enough critical mass of kill cards, basically. So I don't think it loses to itself more than Mono Red Prison does, but it also doesn't just get the wins Mono Red Prison does. So I think that's probably a disingenuous comparison on my part. I mean, that's an interesting yeah, point like, too. You very infrequently have free wins with this deck. No, yeah, I don't think you ever have free wins. Like I disagree because like even Dredge, like you have to have the Exile to back it up, or they go, "Oh, sick dummy! I went on turn three now," and you go, "Yeah, I'm I'm a dummy. You went on turn three now." So like. Very rarely are you just, like, handed the keys to the kingdom. This deck doesn't have any Blood Moon-type effects or Blood Moon-esque cards where it's, hey, this is the thing I get to play that just gets me there. Like, Crypt Incursion, kind of good. Crypt Incursion, kind of good. But even decks like Phoenix and Hogak aren't around anymore, so, eh. I'm going to push back a little bit. I think blue-white control decks, especially if they're just playing hard control, have a really hard time against Mill. Interesting. I think Mesmeric Orb especially is very, very good, as well as Archive Trap. Force of Negation is the one card that makes that a little trickier to Fairy, Time Raveler as well. But I find that because that deck can be so slow and doesn't necessarily apply enough pressure, if you can set up an engine in time, I think eventually you'll just win when both players are doing not much to affect the board i mean i think that's a fair point like that's a really good matchup for mill i think what zach is saying though is that uh mill doesn't have simian spirit guide land turn one chalice on one your deck is invalid you know what i mean like there there isn't a real there aren't really broken plays out of this deck that make up for sort of the the power right that's that's i think archive trap can lead to some but like I, I think what I'm saying overall is that like it can't it can't consistently with any reliability have its no, broken nonsense turns. Like a couple archive traps into mission briefing or you know things like that can be ridiculous. But I think overall Mill is exceptionally fair. That that's what what my question would be is I mean do you think that's true? Yeah, I mean Mill is totally fair, but so is the rest of the format. There's maybe two decks that are doing anything broken right now. Uh that's a, what, that's, a, like, that's a big statement. Yeah, that's this a is, really this is, bold statement. This is not endorsed by the podcast to dive down. <laughs> I wish you could see the, fi- the the look I just had on my face in the webcam where I'm just like one eyebrow cocked so far it's traveling up my forehead. Do, do you mean like The Rock did? Like, ooh, I, I think let's get Dwayne The Rock Johnson to come on our podcast. Yeah, perfect. Okay, great. All right, let's make let's make a, a promise to our listeners right now. We're, we're Stretch <laughs> goal. The Rock. Episode yeah, 100. We have The Rocker. We quit. Yeah. I'm being a little hyperbolic, obviously. There's tons of broken stuff happening in Modern, but it's just, it feels like this new era where Mill does have a chance because it's not competing with three turn two style decks. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm going to extrapolate on that comment, and I think a lot of things have a chance now. I think tier th- the, what 
what uh what constitutes tier three i feel like has really been expanded and pushed outward and the level of viable decks in modern has risen in the past year yeah. the last six weeks maybe even yeah last two hours so dude. i think that we've transitioned pretty seamlessly into would you guys play it again and i feel like since you got a chance to play it and i didn't and i'm just here kind of observing and asking questions um sell Harassing. sell me on picking this deck up sometime and playing it as as someone in a league. Would would you do it again? Should I do it? What do you think? Stan, you're first. <laughs> Dave, I don't think this is the type of deck you would enjoy. It doesn't have enough counter spells. That's what I thought about myself though. I didn't think I'd enjoy it either. Yeah, Shane, but I never thought that you would think Slivers was a good deck and then you were trying to convince me how fun oh, that was. Yeah, Shane ca- he so was at you're Calgary. An enigma, buddy. The you're cross an enigma. was on his back, and he carried it all the way up. And he said, "This is where I'm going to lay my last stand." Yeah, and just to Dave's question, he's a little bit more predictable in terms of what he will or will not like. And quite honestly, I'll say this: I don't intend to play Mill again. It wasn't for me, but I really learned to respect what this deck can do. And playing it over the course of, I want to say, eight to ten matches was a pretty rewarding experience by the end because it was sort of like playing control where at first I didn't really understand what cards were good when, what matchups were like, how to sideboard. And I mean, for a while, I was having a really hard time winning. And then as I got a little, got to do a little bit more trial and error, figured out and pay attention to what was working for me, what my opponents were doing against me and what like my sideboard cards were actually good for, I started winning more, and I think that's a cool feeling. So if you are the type of player who wants to try something different, who wants to surprise your FNM or tournament opponents with an unexpected strategy that no one is siding for, right? No one's coming into a tournament like, how am I going to beat Mill? Yeah. I think this is a great way for people to have a lot of fun and do it on their terms. You don't think you're going to see a lot of people with Gaia's Blessing in their sideboard or anything like that? I mean, I'm going to jam an Emrakul forever now, but I can't speak to all of our listeners. I mean, we are speaking to all of our listeners, if you think about it. I'm just speaking to you guys. I don't know if anyone actually downloads this podcast. <laughs> our download numbers are hovering around 5 to 10 We, we right don't now. know. We don't have any way to see what the stats are. All right, Shane, what's your interesting take? Are you how, how, Sell me on playing this deck. I kind of love this deck, which, <laughs> which surprises even me, right? <laughs> So there aren't a ton of really skill-testing cards to cast, but I think that there are enough, and there's a lot of, like, small ways to maximize your win percentage with, like, sequencing choices, removal targets, surgical targets, so on. I think it's also just a lot of fun to see your opponent's reactions. There's there's a lot of chatter in the, the Magic Online you know, chat box from mm-hmm. your opponents when you're playing Blue Black Mill. Um, you know, I've, I've heard it called library burn and then I've heard people say that that's kind of a little dismissive of the strategy, but after playing it for this episode, I'm kind of comfortable calling it a burn like strategies. There were so many times I was just hoping to get the right top deck to finish my opponent off, whether that's mill spell, another land so that I could double spell before they had lethal, uh, mission briefing to flashback a spell. And so I really kind of needed to burn in quotes, my opponent out. A number of times and just going to get there and i've definitely felt that playing you know redburn i think but that the the controlling nature of the deck does make it feel a little bit different of course but a lot of the choices were similar 
as to when I play burn. You know, am I removing a creature? Am I casting burn to my opponent's face? Am I sideboarding in a way to control my opponent's strategy or try to maximize my ability to you know, burn them out? And so I think a lot of those same thought patterns come into playing mill. And so I enjoyed it. I thought it was I thought it was a lot of fun. I had a lot of interesting conversations with people and I would totally play it on Magic Online again. I'm not buying into it or anything in paper, but it's a thousand dollar deck in paper, so you know. I would I would probably not buy it lightly either, you're right. Zach, how about you? So this is I don't love the style of Mill similarly, but I think it's powerful and I think if you've ever wanted to play Mill, now is definitely the most powerful it's ever been in modern. Or this as long as I've been playing modern. I think that this deck is seriously one card away from being a serious competitor. I think it might take a little bit to get that card, and that card might be a little niche. Like, it might straight up have to be mill 13 for two or something. I I don't want to put an exact number on it, but I think, like we mentioned, there's a very high threshold for being included in this deck, but I think we just need one more. I know there's a card, Drown in the Lock, coming out in Eldrain that people are talking about, very excited about. I don't think that's the card that's going to push it over. I think that's a card that's going to be good and added to it and very helpful, but I think that it needs really one more, like, very intense, almost face card to get to where we need it to be in terms of viability. Or I guess a bunch of small replacements over time also works. Like, two more draw on the lock cards might just be what it needs, or maybe draw on the lock, I'm undervaluing it, and it's what it needs, but like the deck, wouldn't play it myself, but would recommend if you want to mill somebody. So what you're basically saying is we need a card somewhere in between Tome Scour and Glimpse the Unthinkable as another yeah. card that could fit into this deck. Is that... It'd have to be one mana. It'd have to be one mana and mill more than five, but less than ten. Yeah. Dave, did we convince you? Are you going to rent this? <laughs> Dave, Dave okay. all of our reserve takes. How do you feel about I'm it? I'm only going to rent this so I can talk to friend of the show, Craig, about this deck sometime <laughs> on the Slack. Well, well, Shane, what do you think? So you were pretty positive. You're certainly more positive about this deck than I am. Do you agree with Zach that this is close to being even more competitively viable than before? Certainly. I think the future of Mill is becoming more controlling. I was going to mention Drown in the Lock myself, which is, if you don't know what that spoiler reads, it's just a blue-black instant modal spell where you can either counter a target spell with CMC fewer than the cards you have in your graveyard or your opponent's graveyard, or destroy a target creature with CMC less than the number of cards in, in the opponent's graveyard, right? So essentially it's a counter spell or it is a unconditional removal spell for Mill you know, 90% of the time, most likely. Super powerful. So if you uh, use that, you sort of pivot to a more controlling strategy, then I think that that's going to do you well. Um, you know, it's really hard for me to say, like, you know, is it super competitive? I think that it's not going to have high representation no matter what the competitive level is, just because it's not a popular strategy, I think, for a lot of people to play. So... Whether or not it's like a 50% deck, we won't really know because it's not going to have a, is thousands and thousands and thousands of people playing it like, you know, Mono Red Burn or Boros Burn. I, I'm going to phrase this in the most Zach way that I can. I think this is at the same power level that Scred was before Modern Horizons came out. In that it was very close to being good, maybe had a few things outclassed and was lagging behind, but was really close to it. So I think that is really what informs the opinion I had earlier, is that I see similar things where it's 
getting five O's, not consistently, but is getting five O's. People are talking about it. There's a lot of experimentation, and I think we're on the cusp of greatness here. Well, it sounds like our libraries are out of cards. We've talked about everything Mill can do, everything Mill wants to do, what Mill needs to do to be even more competitive. And now you know how to beat it, whether or not you have any cards in your li- library. <laughs> you, know Mil- you know Mill's five-year plan. That wraps up this week's show and our first ever bonus episode. Thank you again to all of the patrons who helped make this possible. We did a bonus episode because it was a Patreon tier. We started making enough money and we were really excited to give back to the people who give back to us. So the truth. Thank you all so much. This was fun to do. We're excited to do more, have more fun with the bonus episode format and see what we come up with. We will be back on Friday of this week, so don't worry. You're not going to lose anything from us doing a bonus episode. You're just going to get more. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or pick our brain on something in modern, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon. Joining at any tier gets you access to our super secret Slack channel. Find us at patreon.com slash the dive down. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and archive. Try!